0: You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because More Living with Jim Brogan starts now.
1: Happy weekend, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and inflation is constantly in the news, and it's easy to see why. When everything we buy costs more, each dollar in our pocket is worth less than it was before. And while it's easy to cut out some unnecessary expenses here and there, no one wants to severely cut back on their lifestyle. Simply cutting back isn't simply an option in many cases the things we need like groceries and gas for our car are all rising but we'll always need to buy them. This is why it's extremely important to factor inflation into your retirement plan and while it's nice to hope for the best sometimes it is prudent to prepare for the worst. No one knows how high inflation will go or for how long or if it could lead to recession by the way it typically does but you can do something about it you can create a plan of action. So today in the show, uh, you've come to the right place. We're going to cover how might inflation lead to a recession. We'll also talk about the latest news on inflation. We'll then dive into how home and rental property sales are taxed. That's something that has been coming up, especially with people's primary residence more and more in our office. People asking, hey, I'm selling my house. I have a $600,000 gain. Uh, And then uh, we'll also talk about long-term care costs and what you can do to plan for that risk. So first, will inflation lead to a recession? I think it's critical to understand how economic cycles work. You know, we all know how inflation affects us individually, especially when we see our grocery bill or fill up our cars with gas, but how does it affect the overall economy and the stock market? So rising costs due to inflation are beginning to impact profit margins, and higher prices are affecting customers. And that means that economic growth is slowing, which typically means there's a higher risk of recession. First quarter earnings reports Um, are likely to be disappointing with a market downtrend in S&P 500 companies' earnings revisions in recent weeks as they deal with inflation. Uh, Companies that have reported first quarter earnings are warning about inflation as price increases affect margins and consumer demand. And restaurant traffic and consumer demand has become volatile. So, you know, one of the things I talked about a few months ago, you know, the economy has been red hot. And the concern with inflation, you know, as of last year, the end of the year, inflation really didn't seem to be impacting people's desire and ability to spend money. Uh, So demand for service goods and services has still been at all-time highs. And the question becomes, how persistent does inflation need to become for people to stop, the, to, to, to reduce demand, basically. And that's kind of where we've been. And, and then when the war with Ukraine happened and Russia, it became apparent that inflation would persist longer because of lack of supply. And if we think just back to our economic training, Economics 101, supply and demand, you have a, a huge increase in demand over the last two years. And then we got major supply chain issues, so reduced supply with increased demand, and that makes prices go up. And everything that's been ha- that's happened since the pandemic, a little over two years ago, has been focused on increasing demand to keep the economy going. You know what might happen. Uh, so you know the, both the Federal Reserve policy with uh, printing a lot of money easy economic policy interest rates being historically low that increases demand increases spending borrowing all those things and then of course massive government stimulus throwing money at the issue so we've had this massive stimulus on the demand side and there's continued problems on the supply side and so at some point though prices get high enough to where it can be a real problem to the economy. We talked, you know, we we we've seen the news and we've talked over the last few months about wage inflation. Companies are having to pay more and more to attract good people or to keep good people, and at some point, those that wage inflation, you you'd think has to be passed on to the consumer. As a matter of fact, three hundred and fifty-six companies in the S and P five hundred cited the term inflation during their earnings calls last quarter. Um, Since World War II, 11 out of 14 monetary policy tightening cycles, in other words, when the Federal Reserve takes policy to tighten money, that could be a combination of money supply and uh, raising interest rates. 11 out of 14 times, it's been followed by a recession within the next two years. So let's look at how economic cycles work. You know, the economy gets hot. Demand exceeds supply. Prices start going up. And so the Federal Reserve, one of their mandates, they they promote interest rate stability and, and, and economic stability. So they start to raise rates to try to reduce the demand. And they do that usually for a couple of years. Then eventually... They cause price that by raising rates it reduces demand and it causes things prices to go back down somewhat and that triggers recession. And that's how economic policy, economic cycles typically work. The Fed raises rates, they are trying to create somewhat of a recession. They raise rates to, to keep inflation down, eventually, they cause prices to go down and that is a recession. Now, you hear Well, they want a soft landing, and that just means they want a mild recession rather than a deep recession. Two things to keep in mind. One is, how long does that mean a recession is imminent? No, it does not necessarily. So be careful with what I'm telling you today. Don't just rush out and panic and sell all your investments. Typically, you know, when the Fed starts raising rates, it takes maybe two or three years to lead to recession, to to end up causing recession. Plus, remember, we normally don't know we're in recession until six months into it because it's two consecutive quarters of negative economic growth. So it may be two and a half, three, three and a half years before we even know we're in a recession. And normally, when when the Fed starts increasing interest rates, in the short term, stock prices continue to rise. And that's an interesting phenomenon, but that's how it's happened historically. Now, things are always different, but I don't remember who it was that said, be careful when people say, oh, it's different this time. Uh, Things can be different. Things often are the same. So I guess my message is, you know, there's a lot of talk, hey, are we going to see a recession? Number one, yeah, we probably are. I mean, that's how economic cycles work. But number two, it's probably not going to be right away. It's probably going to be a while. And we have to be very careful with our investments at trying to time inflation and trying to time stock market risk because we don't know when those cycles are going to, one's going to end and what the other one's going to begin. And so we have to be careful. One of the real keys to successful long-term wealth management is to stay invested or let me say this to be invested when the market surges so if you get out and the market does surge the next 12 months I don't know that it will but if it does that could be catastrophic then what do you do do you then buy in when it's up and then right before or or do you then just sit on the sidelines and what if things keep going up I mean, I had many people come into my office, and, you know, four years ago, five years ago in 2017, 2018. Jim, this can't keep lasting. The markets just keep going up, up, up. And they were sitting on the sideline. Well, they're still sitting on the sideline, more than likely, because prices have just kept going up. So it's very important that you stay invested to see those, those booms. But that means you are going to see the bust, too. So we're going to get into all of that today. But the bottom line is, this is the way economic cycles work. You know, inflation rose 8.5% in March compared to a year ago. It's the biggest increase since 1981. Investors worry that the Federal Reserve's plan to aggressively raise interest rate could hurt economic growth. Well, that's what they're trying to do. That's exactly what they're trying to do. Um, I, I do think the Federal Reserve has waited too long to address the problem. And I think they're a little panicked now. And I personally don't think they can induce a soft landing. I could be wrong. No one knows what the market's going to do. But, you know, retirement is not a good time to deal with this kind of uncertainty. And there is no simple solution. It's important to have a comprehensive plan that's flexible and tailored to your specific situation and that you have an investment plan that mitigates the impact of short term market volatility that's the reality we, we markets are volatile markets are unpredictable they go up they go down in the long term people say what's the best you know how do we hedge inflation with our investments well in the long term the stock market's been the best way to hedge inflation. Now, the next segment, I'm going to talk about other ways to invest. To, you know, I'm going to talk about hedges for inflation. But the bottom line is being invested for the long term with some of your money is the best way to fight inflation historically. It's just there's a lot of short-term volatility. So it becomes critically important that you have the right kind of plan. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about inflation and your money. With interest rates staying low and inflation kicking in, concerns about volatile markets, how do you handle your finances? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Jim Brogan.
1: Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We're talking about inflation and your money. Uh, we're, we're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch our show podcast on our website. Go to broganfinancial.com and click on radio. My upcoming class, Financial Survival for Retirement, It's I'm the instructor. It's at the University of Tennessee through their Uh, Non-credit programs for adult education, it is this coming Tuesday, April 26th. It's two two two-hour sessions, so that is the next two Tuesdays, the 26th and May the 3rd. Uh, You can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com to learn more information and to download a syllabus and click to register. I'd love to see you there. You can also call the University of Tennessee's non-credit programs at 9740150. Uh, this is for people, if you're retired or getting close to retirement, it's for you. It's, of course, fee is $59. And we will talk at length about plans to fight inflation in your retirement. Inflation has been constantly in the news. You've not likely noticed higher prices at the pump, the grocery store, your favorite restaurants, and uh, countless other places. You know, inflation affects everyone, but it can affect retirees even more. Because in retirement, usually you're on a little bit more of a fixed income. So when you're in a, on a fixed income, inflation can really take a toll on your purchasing power. Your salary may have cre- increased every year, but you know if you're getting a pension, is your pension going up every year? And what about Social Security benefits? Social Security benefits do have cost of living adjustments, but believe it or not, people drawing since the year 2000 Even with the inflation adjustments, they've lost a third of their value. Social Security in the last 22 years, the income has lost a third of its value because cost of living of things like housing, food, and prescription drugs for retirees goes up more than those cost of living adjustments. Inflation in March was 8.5%. Last month alone, U.S. gas prices rose by more than 18%. Year over year, the price of gas soared by 48%. Then there's temporary shortages of certain items. Rents are rising. Clothing prices are rising as a result of the shipping crunch that made imports more expensive, and airfares are on the rise again. And energy costs have increased 32% over the last year, while food prices have risen by 8.8%. So what about the long-term effects of inflation? You know, I don't I don't expect inflation to continue at these levels for, for long. Um, I would not be surprised if the inflation rates back down under 5% by the end of this year. I could be wrong, but that would not surprise me at all. If we look fundamentally at the different things that are happening, this is not like uh, the 1970s. It's really more like the 1940s, coming out of World War II, there were supply chain issues, huge demand. People came back from war. Everybody was getting back to work, but there were huge supply issues. A lot of similarities, a lot of differences, but some similarities as well. Now, the Fed's approach in, the, in 1946 was different, and in 47 and 48 than it is now. But the bottom line is, I don't think that this is a runaway inflation problem that's going to look like the 70s. It is a problem. There's no question. And it's going to last for a while, and it's going to be higher than we like. My bigger issue and concern is the long-term impact. What are things going to cost 10 years from now? Because historically, pension and Social Security income does not keep up with inflation. So how do you plan for this? How do you have a financial plan that can fight rising costs like this? So several things. One is be wary of traditional bonds. You know, I've talked about this for a year or more, but traditional bonds, you know, when it, you may have heard when interest rates go up, bond values go down, that's traditional bonds. And it's kind of like, think about a fixed rate mortgage. You may say, well, why does that happen, Jim? Think about a fixed rate mortgage. If you've got a fixed rate mortgage at 3%, you're paying the bank 3% interest and rates go to 5. Well, you're still only paying 3. The bank is kind of stuck. If they do a new mortgage to a new consumer, they can charge 5. So that makes your mortgage to the bank worthless. Right, because you're just paying three. the ch- The challenge is is in investing. Bonds have been largely the best thing to hedge stock market risk in the short term. Meaning when, you know, when the market gets real volatile and choppy and in and uh, unstable and is going down, particularly, people are usually rushing to the safety of bonds, and so it helps diversify. You know, diversification means. You've got a bunch of stuff in your portfolio that when one thing zigs, another zags. So bonds kind of help balance. Balance is a good word. But that's in the short term. The problem is in today's environment, we're probably on the front edge of an historic bear market in bonds. And it is important to minimize downturn, loss, draw down risk. How much do you lose in a bad market? And there's different ways to do that. But doing it with the traditional bond investment, which is what most investors have done for the last 50 years, is, is just not going to be effective in the future. Instead, you're going to need other kinds of diversification, things like adjustable rate bonds. I'll call those non, uh, non-traditional bonds. Back to my mortgage example, if I have an adjustable rate mortgage example, uh, uh, excuse me, at 3%, and rates go to 5 now I have to pay 5 so the, and, and the bank is now charging five. So that value of that mortgage to the bank has gone up with the increase in interest rates. There are all kinds of inflation-protected options out there. Commodities, natural resources and energy. You know, those things are typically priced in dollars. And so those are good inflation hedges. Uh, so there's different ways you can invest to diversify. In the short term, where you have more things that if one thing zigs, another zags. That way, if the stock market's way down, hopefully not all the, everything is way down. But in the long term, staying invested with a good mix of stock market investing historically has been the best way to fight inflation long term. So it's about having balance and diversification. The other thing is you need to have an income plan that provides stability of income in the short term, where you're not dependent on the stock market investments. Markets are volatile and choppy. We never know what's coming next, so you shouldn't be depending. Your, your retirement income should not be depending on what happens next in the stock market. But, you know, what most people do is they do what we call a total return approach to income. You need income, you sell off across all your investments to draw that income. But that means when it's sharply down which risk investments will be at some point, you're having to sell them off when they're down and spend them. And then you're going to compound your loss because you've spent that money. It'll never come back. See, it's okay to sell something when it's down and reinvest it, but you don't ever want to sell it when it's down and spend it. So the income plan is so critical that in the short term, you don't have to depend on stock market stability because that really doesn't exist. I mean, we can look backwards in the rearview mirror and see times when the stock markets were more stable than at other times. But that's really a word that doesn't go with the stock market, the word stability. Now, what's the short term? Minimum five years. You have five years worth of income. You don't have to worry about what the stock market is doing from safe and stable holdings. I'd prefer you have seven or eight, but at least five. And then you need to be aware of of the cruel math of losses. So you do need a risk portfolio if it's going to grow in the next five to seven years. I mean, that does give you some time, but not if you lose too much in a bear market. You know, the cruel math of losses, if you have $100,000 and you lose 50%, you now have $50,000. If you have $50,000 and you want to get to 100 what do you have to make on the 50,000? You've got to make 100%. So you lost 50, you have to make 100 just to get back to break even. If you lose 40%, that's the average bear market since 1900. It happens about every eight years. You lose 40%, you've got to make 67% to get to break even. That's cruel math. Now, if you lose 25, you have to make 33. If you lose 20, you have to make 25 so what you'll notice, I'm doing this audibly instead of visually, but what you'll notice there, you know, if I lose 20% and I have to make 25 to get back to break even, that math is not nearly as cruel as if I lose 40 and have to make 67% to make it back to even. So it becomes more critical in retirement because even if you create an income plan that you don't depend on that stock market investing in the short term, you're still not investing for 20, 25 years you know, in terms of before you have to take that money. Now, you do need the growth of your investment over 20 or 25 or 30 years because people are living longer and longer lives. And that's why it's critically important to be invested because that makes inflation an even bigger risk in the long term because you could live well into your 90s. It's happening, I mean, it's on average. So it's important to have a good fi- a good income plan and investment a plan that can get you through choppy periods, but in a low interest rate environment, you have to know what not to do, and that's to buy things like traditional bond funds, or at least very little, and be very careful about how you're investing. The, the, the final thing I want to say about the retirement plan fighting inflation is your Social Security election. How and when you choose to draw Social Security is just critically important. It is good if the higher-earning spouse, if you're married, or if you were married for over 10 years and divorced, it is important for the higher-earning spouse, if, if you can, to delay benefits somewhat, but only if you can afford it. Because if delaying that benefit means you have to gut your savings, in the meantime, that's no good either. But your Social Security strategy can be a real benefit to fighting inflation long term because you know while you're waiting you're getting those eight percent per year increases and that that should beat inflation but once you start drawing cost of living increases are not they, they historically have not kept up with inflation now when we come back how much will you pay in taxes on a property sale and what about your house we'll dive into that that's been coming up more and more lately in our office Stay tuned. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. We're here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI, every Saturday morning, 9 to 10 a.m., and again, 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch our podcasts, all of our shows, on our website, broganfinancial.com. You can click on radio. My next class is at the University of Tennessee. Financial Survival for Retirement is the name of the class. It's this coming Tuesday. Uh, It's the next two Tuesdays. It's two two two-hour sessions, April 26th and May the 3rd. You can go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com to find out more information and to download a syllabus and click to register. You can call also call the University of Tennessee directly at 9740150. I'd love to see you there. We talk about seven key areas that you need to address in a financial plan to be successful for retirement. Now, how much will you pay in tax on a property sale? You know, is something coming up a lot more often in our office, not just on investment real estate but on your home home prices are rising the housing market is red hot especially here in knoxville we got people moving from all over the country and they're moving from areas that have much higher real estate prices and that is making our real estate value skyrocket and i don't think we're on a bubble now i could be wrong and i'm not a real estate expert we have had real estate experts on this show And especially in residential real estate, I think it might be something more where we maybe level off a little bit. But who knows, because people keep moving into the area. So now home sales have steadily risen for decades. And homeowners and landlords have benefited it immensely. But at what point does it make sense for you to sell? So if you're thinking about selling your house or a rental property, how would that affect your tax bill? now let's start with primary home sales they can be taxed differently than any other type of property Uh, at any age there are rules for this but if you sell your house and it has made money if you're single the first two hundred and fifty thousand dollars is tax exempt in terms of the gain on the house sale if you meet the requirements and it doubles to 500000 for married couples. Now, what are the requirements? You have to have lived in the home for two out of the last five years. The two years do not have to be consecutive, but it has to be two of the last five years you've lived there. Now, when you look at the gain, what is your cost basis? The cost basis, because you pay potentially capital gains tax on whatever you sell the, your house for above your cost basis. Your cost basis is what you paid for the house as well as home improvements. So you need to keep those kinds of records. And then if you've been there for two of the last five years, the first 250000 for a single filer, the first 500000 for a joint filer is exempt from capital gains tax. Now, we're having more people come into my office recently that are selling their home and they're having more than a $500,000 gain as a married couple, or two fifty for single. And it's just something you have to deal with. Uh, there's no other way, you know, overwhelmingly to shelter that capital gains tax on the sale of your primary residence. Uh, you cannot do what's called a 1031 exchange with your primary residence. Uh, now, you could get real sophisticated, you could turn it into an investment property, You know, then do a 1031 exchange. For the most part, when you sell a primary resident residence, you're gonna pay the long-term capital gains tax if you've held it for more than a year on anything above the 250 or 500 respectively. And then you're going to be subject to anywhere from 0% up to 23.8%. Our long-term capital gains rates absolutely are one of the greatest things the IRS has given us because they're much better than ordinary income rates for the overwhelming majority of you listening today. So, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, but even if you're buying a new home, that doesn't mean you get you don't have to pay the tax. So just be aware of that. You know, if you're downsizing, that could be a big issue. Now, what about rental properties or vacation houses that are not your primary residence? They do not qualify for that tax break of the first hundred and fifty dollars or $500,000 in gains, but there are other strategies you can re- use in investment property to reduce that tax. You know, if you do want to sell a rental property you could consider a 1031 exchange, and, and many of you, if you're in real estate, you know what that is, but that's where you, you create a 1031, you, put the, you sell the property, the money goes into an escrow. Okay, and it's when I say 1031, that's the section of the Internal Revenue Code, but the funds go into escrow, and then with certain guidelines, you have to then buy a new property within a certain length of time. Now, there are specific rules for how to do a 1031 exchange, so you would talk to a real estate person about that. You also have to have uh, the right professionals in place to execute all of that, even in terms of when you list the house for sale and how you structure it. Or, or the rental property, excuse me, because this would not be for your primary residence. Again, you cannot do a 1031 exchange on your primary residence. But the, t- the the 1031 exchange allows you to swap investment properties that are similar without paying tax on the sale. So you're selling one, the money goes into escrow, you buy the next one, you don't have to worry about long-term capital gains, any capital gains. Now the rules for what, qualifies as a similar property can be complex because when you do an exchange, it has to be a similar property. Again, that's a question for your real estate uh, professionals. Uh, Now, what if you have a rental property and you don't wanna be a landlord anymore? You may be able to set up what is called a Delaware Statutory Trust, which is like a 1031 exchange. It's kinda like, if I drew an analogy, it's like doing a 1031 exchange And you're exchanging, you sell your property, and then what are you buying? You're buying into what looks like a a real estate trust, a non-public REIT. Now, you are a passive owner of multifamily housing in Middle Tennessee or in Atlanta or something like that, or storage units in Florida, whatever the case may be. Then you're a passive owner. Now... Uh, And and then you get the in now then there's management fees inside those REITs. I mean there's pros and cons to everything you do But if you don't want to be a landlord anymore and you don't want to pay all that tax Then that is an option as well the big thing I will say here is Don't let the taxes drive your decision You know the capital gains taxes are not a horrible thing. I mean the rates are pretty attractive right now those rates, when the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires at the end of 2025, does not have an impact on capital gains rates. They stay where they are. So until Congress or unless Congress changes tax rates on long-term capital gains, they continue to be very attractive as a, as compared to other types of income. That doesn't mean you shouldn't shelter it, but don't let the, the desire for tax savings drive the ship. Um, you know... If you sell a property and you deal with the capital gains tax, well, now you've got a lot of after-tax principle that can be invested to draw largely tax-free retirement income. And if taxes go up a lot in the future, there's something to be said for already having dealt with the taxes. So there, you know, don't let it drive the ship uh, it is it is an important consideration. and You absolutely want to use every strategy you can, but not at the expense of your investment and retirement and income plan, of which taxes is a big part. Now, is renting better than owning in retirement? I get asked that. Uh, most people that I talk to think that renting is a bad word. I don't think that's such a bad word. Renting is not the worst thing in the world, especially when you are in transition. That is when I'm an even bigger fan of renting. You know, now what does that mean, transition? Like, what if you've moved to a new area? Or what if you've had a major life change in your family? What if a spouse has passed away? Or something like that. And you're having to move properties. I, I just, in those cases, when you're in a major, or significant uh, transition, I'm a big fan of renting to get your feet under you. Now, rental costs have also skyrocketed, but so have the costs of buying a new home. So if you're going to be selling something and looking to do something with your property, you know, in terms of where you live, if you're in transition, renting can be a good way to deal with that transition, whether it's a year, two years, to help you get your feet on the ground. You're not tying up equity. You're not paying property taxes. There's some benefits to that. So don't just assume that you should never, ever rent. Okay. Um, the other thing I'll mention is if you own rental properties and you're not looking to sell, um, I've got clients and friends and family members that have been very successful with property rentals. With, with the property skyrocketing as they are, how are you handling your rents how much have you raised rent on your tenants uh, from what i've seen in the marketplace it's tough to raise rents at the same rate as the the increase in value in property values in other words if you were getting if, if 3 4 years ago you were getting 10% gross rents off of your property it's going to be hard to get that now you know, you might be getting 8% now. But are you trying to systematically increase rents to try to help you keep up with inflation? That's what that's reasonable. You know, multifamily apartments are doing that. So it's reasonable to do that. Now then you also care, many of the people I talk to care for their tenants. They want to work with them. So there's a balancing line, but you also want it to be a good investment for yourself. So just always be a re- evaluating how you're charging rents, and what that looks like in the grand scheme of things. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about the increasing cost of long-term care and the probability of needing long-term care and what are the different ways to plan for that risk. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
0: Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan.
1: This is More Living on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Thank you for tuning in this week. Also, check out our upcoming class schedule at broganfinancial.com. Click on Classes. My next class is at the University of Tennessee. That'll be it until August in terms of any classes I do in the area. So this following two Tuesday nights, Financial Survival for Retirement, you can also go directly to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. Also, when you go to our website, we've just got lots and lots of resources there to help you live your best life in retirement and make prudent and informed decisions that can impact the quality of your life. So check that all out. You can also sign up for our weekly e-newsletter where we just give you l- links to content that we're constantly creating to benefit you in life. Now the increasing cost of long-term care, this is critically important to understand. First off, medical costs in general, healthcare, just traditional Medicare costs, The they're going up at double just, I mean, you know cost of living <clears throat> adjustment for social security this year was 5.9%. Well. Medicare premium went up more than double that. So the average retiree at 65 years old, in terms of medical costs and Medicare premiums and supplemental premiums all in, pushing now 330 to $340,000. Now, that's spread over a course of 20 to 30 years. So it's not a lump sum you pay with up front. It just needs to be built into your income plan. But that's not long-term custodial care. Long-term custodial care is being able to pay, you know, have some, you can't live completely on your own. You need help. And Medicare does not cover that. It it can potentially cover the first hundred, part of the first hundred days. There are rules for that. Uh, But then that's it. The average retired couple At age 65, there's, first off, if you're 65 years old, you have a 70% likelihood that you're going to need help for more than 90 days to just live because you cannot live independently. That's the definition of long-term care, 70%. And that means a married couple has just almost right at a 50% likelihood you're going to both need long-term care. The average private room in a nursing home in America today is just over $102,000. Now in East Tennessee, it's closer to 80 to 90, depending on the, but really 85 to 90. A nursing home, the median cost uh, in an assisted living facility in the country is just under $50,000, $48,612. A The median annual cost for a home health aide that is helping you in your home 44 hours a week is a little over $52,000 a year. Now, these costs are high, but remember, you won't be spending money on other kinds of things that you're spending on now. So it's not like, you know, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay all that cost? I mean, you're not you're going to be able to use your income for some of those costs uh, from your, you know, your Social Security income, maybe pension, investment income, all those things. Uh, also, if you go into a facility, you're probably going to end up selling your house, um, and, and then you're not going to have those costs either, and you're going to have more more dollars in your pocket to help pay the cost. So most people that I meet with, you know, don't need a a a plan for to supplement, you know, to cover 75 80% of the cost of care. Now, some people can afford to self-pay. But I think that there's a lot to be said for the leverage of some of the insurance alternatives that are out there. You know, now, first off, how likely is this to impact you? You know, if you, most of the people that I meet with that come in to see us in our office, I'm not so worried about a two- or three-year stay having a dramatic effect on your estate, draining it down, and putting pressure on how much you have. What, what, what becomes a concern is if it's a long stay, you know, 7, 8, 10, 12 years. Typically, if you're institutionalized after four years, it's usually going to be some kind of cognitive issue, mental issue, dementia, something like that. And the average stay for dementia is a little over seven years. So that is where it becomes problematic. And so there are different insurance options that can help with that. I'm a big fan of the hybrid life insurance and long-term care insurance options where if you don't need the coverage, you have a death benefit. You have a base life insurance policy. If you need it for long-term care, you can start paying it out for long-term care. If you don't need it for long-term care, it'll pay a death benefit to your spouse or your kids or whomever you want. And those are attractive because you know you're going to get a benefit somewhere. And also, most of those policies, once you have it, they cannot ask for more money. They can't come back later and say, well, this is more expensive than we thought. You have to pay more money. So there are a lot of great benefits to that. Now, can you afford to pay for that every year? That's part of your financial plan. One thing I get asked a lot is, Jim, should I buy it now or later in life? I will tell you, once you get into early 50s, That's the best time to be looking at long-term care risk and how you would potentially plan for that risk. So if you're past early 50s, and especially if you're in your early 60s, now is the time to create that plan. Again, that plan doesn't have to mean insurance. It could mean self-funding. Or maybe you just get a little bit of insurance to cover the base foundation of care if you have a long stay. But it should be addressed now in your plan, whether it's self-pay or not. So today we've discussed a lot of financial topics. We've discussed inflation. We've discussed medical care. We've discussed property sales and how your home sales tax because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Uh, check us out, BroganFinancial.com, my next class at the University of Tennessee. Financial sur- for survival, excuse me, financial survival for retirement. com. You can download a syllabus and click to register at UT. You can also call UT at nine seven four zero one fifty. Thank you, Chris, for engineering the show. Thank you, Jill, for producing the show. You've been listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on the News and Talk of East Tennessee, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a very blessed weekend.